Okay, here we go. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of The Package Tourist, hosted by yours truly, The Package Tourist and the Magical Mystery Tour Call Life, Matthew DiBiaz. Tonight we conclude Season 4, and tonight, and, and to help conclude that season, we have a special guest, my dear friend, pro football historian and author, Terrence T.J. Troop. T.J. is one of the foremost historians of professional football. He has written numerous articles for American Football Coaches Monthly and was the football coordinator consultant for the 2008 George Clooney film Leatherheads and also the 2021 film 12 Mighty Orphans. He wrote his first book in 2009 titled This Day in Football and in 2014 he wrote The Birth of Football's Modern 4-3 Defense, a splendidly detailed tactical analysis of how NFL teams played defense during the 1950s and it is a must-read for all serious pro football researchers. Tonight, Coach Troop and I will be revisiting the 1963 NFL Championship Games, where the game where the Chicago Bears took on the New York Giants. Coach, welcome back to the show. It's a great way to end, end the year. I'd like to start off by asking you, please give our listeners a quick background about the 1963 NFL Championship Game. What was the historical significance of this game for both franchises? Because, in retrospect, looking at it, the fortunes of both teams were affected and altered greatly as a result of this game. Good evening, Matthew. It's uh, a terrific honor to be with you again. Yeah. Well, these two teams, actually, when uh, division play began, played in the first two championship games. And 33 and 34, so they've had a long, long background of playing against each other. But it's been since 1956 was the last time they faced each other, and in that championship game, the Giants just beat the Bears badly, 47-7. to um, The Bears are much improved in 63, and there's no doubt we're going to go through the main reasons why that was. And the Giants are in their third consecutive title game with what they believe is their best team ever. Okay, so let's let's talk about you know let's talk about let's start off with the Bears. Now they had one of the finest defensive squads in NFL history. And please tell our listeners who was their defensive coordinator. Well, it is by this time it's uh, my coaching guru George Allen. Um, hours on this, but in 1957, after being a college coach, George Allen was the receivers coach of the Rams. And it's interesting to note that Del Schaffner was a rookie on that Ram team, and he played defense, not offense. Otherwise, they would have worked together. Um, when Sid Gilman fires Allen, Allen is unemployed briefly. And his friend Chuck Mather, who's the backfield coach for the Bears, convinces Papa Bear to bring Allen to Chicago to prepare a game plan for the upcoming game against the Rams. Because the Bears personnel director had passed on unexpectedly, there was an opening in the front office, and George Allen's first job with the Bears was as player personnel director, and he actually didn't really coach till 1960. He followed Clark Shaughnessy around. Shaughnessy could not stand him. Um, by 61, Allen is the secondary coach. Early in 62, Shaughnessy is dismissed 
by Papa Bear, and Allen becomes the D coordinator. And after two humiliating losses to Green Bay in the 62, Allen begins his quest to have a defense to stop Vince Lombardi and the Packers. So George Allen is in his first full year as defensive coordinator in 1963. Let's talk about what type of the defensive fronts, what type of formations are they using, and how often would they blitz? I mean, were there any type of intricate blitz packages with that 63 Bears defense? Absolutely, there were. Um, Clark Shaughnessy, as everyone writes, had a brilliant mind for X's and O's, but he was so insufferable to deal with. Profane, vulgar, disparaging, I mean, I could use other words, but those three will kind of cover it. Yeah. And he had been fired by the Rams after a 1949 season where he um, led the Rams to the championship game. How many times does that happen? Yep. But Hallis hired him. He becomes. He refused to be called the defensive coordinator. He liked the term consultant. <laughs> so he, he coached the defense, and he had a myriad of mystical defenses. But the key, and where we're going to go with this, is when many teams are tra- are moving it to the 4-3 defense, many times the Bears' middle linebacker in the 4-3, Bill George, who had played offensive guard at the beginning of his career, would come forward and put his knuckles in the dirt, in the gap, many times between the center and the guard, and shoot the gap. Mm. So the Bears would use a five-man line. Mm. The outside linebackers would slide over, and they would sometimes, with the term for that era, they would red dog. Other times they would red dog from the outside. Other times both linebackers would go through the A-gaps, the center guard gaps, a double A-gap blitz. Shaughnessy's defense was ahead of its time, but there were so many strange defenses and coverages out of those defenses that just were not going to work by the time we got into the 60s. George Allen took that huge defensive playbook and pared it down to what was actually workable. Mm. Okay, let's... How how often would they blitz, though? I mean, would they, would they simply blitz with the defensive front four, or would they shoot the linebackers? How often would they do that? Well, you'll see the strong side linebacker, which is Joe Fortunato. He, he will red dog. And, of course, you will see Bill George either from, as I mentioned, knuckles in the dirt, shoot the gap, or from standing up middle linebacker sometimes. But the right outside linebacker, Larry Morris, um, would red dog often and he would come through um, different gaps so he's the main guy and there actually were times where the Bears tinkered with the safety blitz Ooh. Okay. but that, it was it was not going to be used because Allen had different ideas of how to use his two great safeties on that team okay now we, we you yeah you that's my next question. Um, let's talk about that magnificent Bears secondary. I mean, I want to start off by asking you, do you consider that 63 Bears secondary one of the finest uh, defensive backfields in NFL history? Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, sir. And they are George Allen's boys. And I'll briefly cover it. Because George Allen is the player personnel director, he drafts Pettibone in 59. Ooh. In 61, 
the Bears sign a free agent named Roosevelt Taylor from Grambling. Mm. And the, the thought process was because Roosevelt Taylor was such good friends with Ernie Ladd, they were hoping that uh, Roosevelt Taylor could convince Ernie Ladd to jump from the AFL to the NFL. Mm. And he met, the Bears have this three-team, the Bears are involved in a couple of major trades in 61. There's a three-team trade with the Rams and the Giants in which they lose quality um, corner Erich Barnes, and he's got to be replaced. Well, through this convoluted trade, George Allen basically gives up one of the worst kickers of all time in, in uh, John Avini <laughs> and gets backup safety Dave Witzel from the Vikings who had been released by the Lions. And Allen um, teaches him how to be a right corner. Wow. So you have Taylor, and Rosie Taylor was going to be cut. Shaughnessy did not like him. And Allen advocated to, to Papa Bear, you cannot release this kid. you got to keep him. And then in 62, Allen convinces Alice that they needed to draft Benny McRae, who is going to eventually replace J.C. Caroline at left corner. So those four men are all George Allen's boys. He coaches them and he teaches them. Okay, let's talk about coverages. Were they were they mostly man? Were they using zones? Okay, what what are we talking about in terms of defensive coverages and against the pass? That is such a good question, Matthew. Uh, every team, every team in the NFL does use zone. Every team in the NFL obviously uses man, but most of the teams do not hide or disguise their coverages. Mm. George Allen had Pettibone and Taylor a line in such a way where the quarterback would go under center and go, well, it has to be this coverage because of how the safeties are aligned. And Pettibone would disguise the coverage and make it look like he was moving towards, let's say, if the tight end is to the right and Pettibone, of course, is on the left, he would slide over towards the left sideline. So the quarterback would think, well, I'm going to throw over the middle. Pettibone would slide as soon as the ball was snapped to the middle of the field. And the quarterback would go, oh, my gosh, that means I have to throw over here. And he would turn there, and Roosevelt Taylor, with his blazing speed, would be right where the quarterback didn't want him to be. So those two men just, well, the Bears lead the league in interceptions with 36. Yeah. I mean, they force so many turnovers. And Witzel and McCray each have six. I mean, you just don't have yeah. a secondary that records 29 interceptions. Getting back to George Allen, of course, he is legendary. He's one of the greatest coaches, you know, in terms of breaking down game film, deciphering offensive formations and charting tendencies. Is it accurate to say that the Bears were very much like George Allen, very good at reading keys, finding tells, and anticipating plays? Yes. Um, there are others. During this era, uh, there was a young defensive coordinator in Detroit by the name of Don Shula. Yeah. And uh, he gets the head coaching job in Baltimore in 63, though it was rumored that Allen was also going to be a finalist for the job. But Marchetti wanted Shula. Rosenblum hired Shula. So Don Shula knew exactly what to do with coverages also. Yeah. And there's a handful of other excellent secondary coaches in the NFL in that era. Um, Wally Lamb with the Cardinals. But Allen 
has learned and followed Shaughnessy around. I mean, there are so many good things in the Shaughnessy playbook, but so many strange ones. Alan just gets rid of the strange ones and studies and studies and studies. And his defensive game plan for the game against the Giants is one of the best ever, and it needed to be. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about the Giants' offense. Uh, Describe who were the key players for the 1963 New York Giants. Allie Sherman knows what he has at, at the quarterback position. I mean, Y.A. Tittle has been written about was um, Ahab searching for his white whale. Yeah. You know, he wants his championship after what happened with the 49ers in 57. Yeah. And uh, the falling out he had with Red Hickey and the trade, of course, to the Giants. And he convinces... Allie Sherman and the Mara family to trade for Del Schaffner. And Tittle is reborn in 61 and has a really good year. But in 62, he breaks Unitas' record and throws 33 touchdown passes. Yep. So what's he do in 63? Comes back and sets a new one with 36. Yep. Now, his main weapon is obviously his left split in Del Schaffner. Yep. He is very fast. But he runs very good routes, and because corners would play so far off him, Schaffner would run down and do these stop patterns. Eight, nine yards, turn around, little button hook. Tittle would put the ball right on Dell, and Dell ran very well after the catch. So he is the deep threat. But um, Frank Gifford had returned in 62 and played well at flanker, and he has another fine year in 63, even though he's aging. And the runners, Joe Morrison and Phil King, they are rock solid. I mean, the Giants' offensive line is excellent, and they can run block. But King and especially Morrison, who we're going to talk about, are excellent receivers out of the backfield. So the Giants have a, are more of a passing team, but they still can run the ball well. And their offensive line is very, very good, though it's young in some positions. But the left offensive tackle is by far the best left offensive tackle of the decade of the 50s in Roosevelt Brown. But he's aging, and he is going to have a tremendous battle on his hands because he faces the legendary Doug Atkins. Now, you talk about Del Schofter being the deep threat. Let's talk about Frank Gifford briefly. I mean, was he could he go deep, or was he more like a short yardage or like a mid-range, like a 10-15 yard uh, pass catcher? Uh, how would you describe Gifford as a, a receiver? Just the way you did. He, he's going to run the intermediate routes. You'll see him do the slants. You'll see him do the curls and the stops. Uh, occasionally, he'll, he'll go deep, but his really good one is he would start up the field on a slant, and then he would break to the sideline on the deep out. And he was very good, and he's still being the excellent athlete he was, he caught the ball at the sideline. I was able to talk to Mr. Gifford at uh, Steve Sable's uh, induction party at the Hall of Fame, and though it wasn't a long conversation, I talked a little bit about him with routes, and basically he said if a guy could only run one pass route, he was going to sit on the bench. So he said he learned, and because he played defensive back, he learned to master them all. So he's your intermediate guy. I always love Frank Gifford. I mean, of the whole Monday Night Football trio, he was always my favorite. Now, going into the game, the 63-10 NFL Championship game, was Del Schaffner given double coverage? Yes and no. Okay. At times, 
at times Roosevelt Taylor knows he's going to have to help Witzel. And Dave Witzel, the right corner, who does not have blazing speed, was asked before the game because there were many teams that double-covered Del Schaffner, and it didn't matter. He still torched them. And Witzel goes, I'm going to shut him out. Now, that's, that's a pretty um, strong claim. Roosevelt Taylor at times slid over and, and they ran what we call roll weak coverage where Witzel would take Schaffner short and up move up and jam him and then Taylor would dash behind him. But other times Witzel had him all by himself. Okay. Now in terms of run stoppage, was it true? Now you talked about earlier that Bears would use a five-man front with Bill George right up on the line playing between the guard and the, ta- the, guard and the center. Were they using that five-man line against the Giants in the championship game? Yes, but not quite as often. Mm. Um, I think they felt that uh, Bill George would be better plugging plugging running gaps. But there, again, George Allen is much more concerned, not so much about the inside run, and the Giants run the ball fairly well in the game. So he wants Bill George in pursuit more. But yes, Mm. they still use the five-man line, and, and, and Red Dog and then drop into coverage. And they also go to nickel. You will see times where Bill George is not in the game. And J.C. Caroline comes in, and the Bears are in nickel coverage Mm. in the title game. Okay. Now, it's been suggested in various uh, historical accounts of this game that the Bears had the Giants' screen pass key. Now, Coach, based on your film research, do you think it was there some sort of a tell that gave away the screen pass, or do you think it was George Allen when he was looking at the films basically deduced a tendency? It was the tendency. What is your theory? Well, that is a uh, one of the best questions you could ask me, and the answer is absolutely. George Allen drilled the Bears over and over and over on how well the Giants ran both the screen pass and the flare pass to the back. Mm. And the very first play of the game for the Giants is a flare to the right to Joe Morrison. The Giants had a tendency to do it on first down. Mm. And Joe Fortunato is calling the Bears defensive signals during 63 for the first time. Bill George had done it for eight years. And he demanded a pay raise from Papa Bear for, for doing such an excellent job. Mm. And Papa Bear not only refused, he said, you're, well, you're fired. We'll have Fortunato call the defense. I don't have to pay you any money. So Fortunato was trying to prove himself. And because him and Allen had such a good working relationship, in the huddle, Fortunato told Ed Obradovich on the key play, which we're going to I'm sure we're going to talk about, to look for the screen. So, yes, there was a tell. The Giants many times would run that flare or this little screen, and Obradovich stated that on the pass block, that Stroud's weak little block that he gave, Obradovich said, it's coming. It's You know what I mean? It's first yeah. down. They're going to do it right now. Yeah. So he drifts into the flat, and Tittle didn't even see him. He just flips it out there. Okay. Now let's talk about... The, the, Larry Morris is intercepted because let's start off the game. The Giants drove down the field and they drew first blood when Wyatt Tittle hit Frank Gifford for a TD pass to make it 7 to nothing. Now later on, their Giants are drawing, are going down the field again and they're in and they're in, you know, they're in the red zone there 
And tell, please tell our listeners about Larry Morris's interception of Y.E.'s pass that set up Chicago's first TD that tied the game. Well, the Bears have already turned the ball over twice on fumbles. Mm. And the throw to Schaffner is high towards the middle of the end zone. Yeah. And it's not an easy catch. But it bounces off Schaffner's fingers. Yeah. Now, you know, any wide receiver is going to tell you he should have caught the ball. Mm. And, of course, when you watch the footage, you think, my God, did he lose it in the sun? Was it just the, the cold temperature? Whatever. So when it's incomplete, what does Tittle do? He comes back, and he's going to do the uh, flare or flare pass to Phil King to the left. And as he releases the ball, here's the Bears' most opportunistic blitzer in Larry Morris, and he's dropping into coverage because he reads it, and the throw's a little high, and King isn't ready, and Larry Morris, bad knees and all, intercepts, and there he goes. Yeah. 61 yards to the red zone. Yeah. Now, what I'm looking at, uh, looking at the highlights of the thing, is it accurate to say that interception by Morris was a key hinge of fate in that game because, right, like we said before, just before the interception, Tittle almost hit Schaffner in the end zone for a TD pass, which would have made 14 nothing Giants. But instead, you know, it's an incomplete pass. And then the next play, Morris hits that interception instead of a 14 nothing Giants lead. Now it's a tie game. Do you consider that moment the hinge of fate? Yes. Yes. Well, well said, Matthew. Okay, now later on in the game, I, people don't really talk about this, but I remember I was looking at a highlights film. New York had a chance to score there. I mean, uh, there was a field goal attempt. I mean, they had, I think they took a 10 7 lead. And then I think they were going to score again. And then Chandler tries to kick a field goal. But guess what? Somebody deflects it. Who's the guy who deflected it for the Bears? One of the, one of the best kick blockers in NFL history. Davey Witzel flashes in. Now, he doesn't get a, you know, it's not one of those where he swats it to the ground. Yeah. But he was so good. Dave Witzel comes blazing in and gets his left hand just barely and grazes the ball. Yeah. And, of course, it's not talked about but Roger Clare was not a very accurate field goal kicker, mm. and he missed two in the game. Mm. Yeah. So as a result, I mean, you just look at the, the numbers, and, you know, if any time a team is denied points, it affects the game. And the Bears' offensive game plan was very, very conservative. Bill yeah. Wade could throw deep, and you do not see any deep passes in this game. No. He throws underneath. And the Bears try and run the ball. And, of course, after Gallimore fumbled, I think he carried the ball just one more, once or twice more in the game. It just wasn't his day. Let's talk for a moment. What's your analysis? How good were Chicago special teams during the 1963 season, in your, in your opinion? Well, they were much improved. Um, George Hallis was absolutely the worst coach in the NFL for the kicking game. Maybe that is one of the reasons why George Allen became so good in the 50s. With all my film study, year in and year out, especially in kick coverage, where the Bears punt team or kickoff team, other teams just took a huge advantage over Chicago. And Allen knew that. Well, he worked. 
at, at trying to improve those. Now, of course, we know he became legendary. I mean, he, when he's the head coach of the Rams, he hires a special, what he calls special teams coordinator. Nobody yeah. ever had that before. Yeah. And the first guy he hired is this young kid named Dick Vermeil. <laughs> and then when Dick Vermeil leaves and goes to UCLA, he replaces him with this guy named Marv Levy. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. So, yeah, the, George Allen understood the game. There, there was nothing left attended to. So, Bears special teams are not awesome in 63, but they're much improved over other seasons. Yeah. Now, thinking about that field goal missed by uh, that deflection of Chandler's kick, now, if that kick had been good, that would have altered the dynamics when, you know, the Giants were trying to score, you know, in the fourth quarter. They had two scoring drives. You know, Tittle was trying to lead among drives. Instead of having to go for a touchdown, all they would have had to do is go for a field goal. And both times, they were kind of in field goal range. So you talk about another hinge of fate with that deflection. Don't you agree? Absolutely. I mean, if we're reading in the Chicago Tribune on Monday, Chicago loses 16-14 to 14 as LeClaire blows two field goals again. It would have been painful. Yeah. But there's nothing written about that because, you know, when you've got the, the four-point lead and Tittle's got the passing attack, he does. He, he's going to throw. Now, during that game, Y.A. Tittle got hurt. Uh, I mean, it, it, it re- he really damaged his knee and all that. I mean, he later said well, that well, he got hit twice in the knee, and the second time he felt it pop. How, how badly did that affect his play on the field, you know, when you look at the films? Well, I'm going to answer your question, but briefly I'm going to go back to an aspect of this game that is key. Yeah. Both teams pass blocking and rushing the passer. Yeah. The New York Giants are outstanding at rushing the passer. Yeah. And though um, tackling the quarterback for a loss, which we don't have the term sack yet, the league leader is the left defensive end for the Giants, Jim Katkavich, with mm. 20 and a half. Yeah. He gets shut out by Bob Witoska, yeah. the most unheralded player on that Bear team. He does a fine job. And on the other side, you have Doug Atkins being shut out by Roosevelt Brown. So you have two of the sack leaders in the league, and Atkins and Katkavich not getting a sack. Yeah. Robustelli has one for the Giants, and Larry Morris early in the game did get tilled, the only sack. So Larry Morris has a sack early in the game and an interception early in the game. Yeah. Maybe that's why he got the game ball. Yeah. Um, and I think he got a bar, fumble recovery, too. Didn't he recover a uh, fumble? No, Pettibone has the fumble recovery. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, yeah, may have forced the fumble, perhaps. So yeah. the, bear pass off, the Bear offensive line is so well coached. Yeah. They allowed only 20 sacks during the year. They were very consistent. Wow. So even though both teams are known for the pass rush, Giants are better than the Bears, but they're both known for that. This game hinges on quarterbacks getting the ball out of their hands and throwing. And neither one of them completes 50% because of the Arctic conditions. Yeah. But both men could sure throw. Okay. Now, you talked about Obradovich's uh, interception that set up the uh, Chicago Bears' go-ahead touchdown. Let's go back there for a sec, because when I was looking at the highlight films, I noticed just before the interception took place, you see see, the the cameras on the the back of the Bears' backs there. It's like in the Bears' backfield. You see just before the play starts, 
they, the, the bear starts shifting to the left. And of course, that's where Obradovich was on that left side there. Do you believe that was an, do you really believe that was another tell? They, they deciphered the signal and made the, the correct adjustment. Yes. In that huddle, on that play, Fortunato called it out. He says, OB, be ready. This, this could be the time. So when they line up just before the ball snapped, you see Fortunato moving to his left. And then, of course, as um, in one of the books I read, you see Stroud make this weak attempt at pass blocking. So Obradovich goes, oh, my God, this is it. So he just slides to his left. So, yes, the Bears knew. I mean, talk about preparation and knowing what the other team was going to do. Yeah, and the thing is, you take away those two big interceptions, Morris and Obradovich, and basically I don't think the Bears would have had a chance at all. I mean, they blew two field goal attempts. I mean, that's a great mystery. I mean, the Bears' offense was, for the most part, relatively ineffective. They only got 93 yards rushing and only 138 yards passing. In your opinion, what was going wrong with the Bears' offense? What's your interpretation? Well, first off, they have one game-breaker and one game-breaker only in Willie Gallimore. And mm. like I say, this is just not Willie the Wisp's best game. Mm. So Ronnie Bull, I mean, he runs hard, but he's not going to break a game open. Yeah. And Marconi is going to plug away a little bit. They're basically going to run between the tackles. Yeah. And the Giants still have an excellent defense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're, you know, the Bears are not going to move the ball. Now, Johnny Morris was a good receiver, and though he could go deep, I'm not sure they ever attempt a long pass. And Koya left split in. He has one deep curl that he makes a catch. So the main target in the Bear Pass offense is the best tight end in football, which is Ditka. And he does make the key catch in the game, but you do not see him run any deep patterns. The Bears went incredibly conservative. Fortunately, when they're down in the red zone and they're on the one, the Bears, I mean, we've watched the Eagles here in 2023 do this goal line shove match in yeah. the end zone. Yeah. Mike Pyle just absolutely destroys John Lovatier on both Bear touchdowns. <laughs> and Wade was excellent on the sneak. The Bears just shove right in the end zone. I mean, in the championship game, here's a quarterback who could throw deep, and the Bears score on two one-yard sneaks. Yeah. Let's get to Mike Ditka's big catch because I forget. I think the Bears were like, I think, of the Giants 15 or something like that. Like, well, they were in the 20. Was it now when Ditka's big catch, was that a sideline route or was that a post route? What the Bears would do, especially in that situation, and of course, we're talking about an excellent secondary. Jimmy Patton is still a quality right safety. The Giants, two corners, they have the best corner tandem in the NFL in 63. Green Bay's is still pretty good, but Dick Lynch at right corner and Erich Barnes at left corner, I mean, they are fantastic. So who's the weak link? Dick Pessinen is the left safety for the Giants. Mm. And Dick would flex, so he's about three yards to the outside of the offensive tackle, and he just takes off right to the middle of the field. It's almost like an angle route. We, yeah. we could call it kind of a slant. Yeah. And and Wade just straightens up, and he could zip it. He put it right on Ditka's numbers, and Iron Mike is tackled on about the two-yard line. Yeah. So they have one, one key offensive play in the entire game, a pass to their best offensive player. 
let's get back to the Giants for a moment because I've, I've seen some various accounts uh, after the game years later Gifford kind of mourned the fact that Giants head coach Ali Sherman didn't exactly didn't adjust their passing game and make Gifford the go-to guy because Gifford had a great game. He caught their sole touchdown pass, and instead Sherman kept trying to get it to Schaffner somehow. And of course, Schaffner never caught a pass. Do you think Gifford had a legitimate complaint that, that the Giants that failure to adjust, in other words, make Gifford the primary receiver, may have cost them the game? What are your thoughts? Well, I think Frank might be exaggerating a little bit. He got the ball thrown him a couple more times, basically on in routes. But when he came out of the huddle, and, and is it flank or right? Because the Giants do not change at all. Schaffner split in left, Gifford is flank or right. Um, he knew that basically it was him and Benny McRae one-on-one. Yeah. Pettibone is shifting and heading towards the middle whenever possible. They must guard the middle of the field, and they must guard against Schaffner. So Taylor and Pettibone are moving constantly. So Gifford has the right to claim, I could have gotten the ball more. I was open more. And he just might have been. Um, on one of the final drives by the Giants, yeah. and it's amazing because this is year number 12 for the King, Hugh McElhenney. Yeah. Tittle goes back to him and hits him over the middle on circle routes, and they're both complete. Yeah. And, of course, McElhenney loose, and he had an, an exceptional kickoff return in the game also. Yeah, yeah. McElhenney catches the ball, but boy, oh boy, do the Bear defenders converge on the King. And, and and get him to the ground. But, of course, he's not quite as, as elusive or as fast as he was in his younger years. And they're all wearing gym shoes yeah. on this frozen field. So the, the passing game, Kittle adjusted as best he can. But, again, after the injury, which you had mentioned earlier, yeah. Kittle can still throw with the cortisone shots, but he can't plant that leg and get as much velocity on his deep throws. And, of course, we've got the wind and the, the cold weather, too. Yeah. Also, I know some accounts suggested because of his injury, his play fakes were not as convincing as they could have been if he had been healthy, you know? Uh, Coach, let's sum up for it. Do you consider that 1963 Bears team the greatest Bear team in their franchise history? What do you think? Well, the 19... I mean, the 63 Bears, keep in mind... They're my team still to this day. I'm a 12-year-old boy that lived and breathed. I'm going to be buried in navy blue and burnt orange. Um, but the 85 Bears, man for man, with how they played, is the greatest Bear team of all time. Mm-hmm. Even back to those tremendous teams in the 40s. Yeah. But that 63 Bear team, when you look at what they accomplished defensively, and you look at what Bill Wade, I wrote an article for the Pro Football Journal. Yeah. Bill Wade is never given enough credit. He had an excellent year in 62, threw for over 3,000 yards and 22 touchdowns. Yeah. But he led the league in interceptions. Mm. And in the offseason, they talked to him. And he, how about this for being a humble, team oriented guy? Yeah. He adjusted his game. The Bears didn't throw deep a lot in 63. They got a ton of first downs. They moved the chains. They just did not score a lot of points. Mm. And, of course, the difference is, and I'm going to go to this right now, Yeah, they were plus, I believe it's plus 29 in turnover ratio, wow. ratio in, in 14 games. Wow. And in the second half 
of that championship game, and they did not write it in the Chicago Tribune. They took the ball away five times from the Giants in the second half. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, think about it, well. Think about it in retrospect. I mean, that '63 NFL Championship game. That was the last hurrah for George Hallis. That was truly his last championship. I mean, it would be a long, long time before the Bears would ever get back into playoff competition, and it would be even longer still before they were compete for the NFL title ever again, correct? Yes. Uh, I'll be as brief on this as possible, though this is almost an entire book waiting to happen. Yeah. Papa Bear, when the game is over, the Bear players know that Larry Morris is going to win the Corvette from Sport Magazine for MVP of the game. Yeah. The game ball is not given to George Ellis. It's not given to the owner and coach of the team. It's given to the defensive coordinator. Wow. George Allen is a head coach waiting to happen. Yep. He believed that Hallis was going to give him the job after the 65 season where the Bears, after an 0-3 start, played such exceptional football. They shut out the Colts in Baltimore. They beat Green Bay 31-10. to I mean, yeah. plus they had a couple of rookies. Now, the names, let me think now. I think the two names are Butkus and Sayers. So I think they <laughs> might have had okay careers. Yep, yep. That's so, pretty good. Yeah, really good. <laughs> and, and Allen drafted them. Yeah. So yeah. Allen wants the job. And when Hallis tells Allen that he's not going to let it go, Allen bolts and goes to the Rams. He loses in court because he's under contract. And then after Hallis beats Allen in court, he turns him and says, my boy, you're free to go and take the Ram job. I was just trying to make a point. <laughs> and look at where the Bears go Yeah. after 65. Their player personnel decisions were just, yeah. well, do we want to use flawed or they were just terrible? Yeah. Whatever you want to use. And yeah. look at what George Allen accomplished. Yeah. And the Giants, meanwhile, they're an aging team. And yeah. look at where they're going to go. Yeah. So after that 63 title game, it's going to be kind of a long dry spell for both those teams. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's kind of like, you know, even victors can be undone by victory itself. It's a great tragedy for both teams. I mean, a long drought. I mean, it was until like the early 80s that the Giants returned to postseason play. You know, and even longer still getting back to, you know, playing for the Super Bowl and all that. I mean, it, it literally, when you think about it, that 63 NFL championship game was literally the end of an era when you think about it. Well, for those two teams, yes. And, of course, when they play in the playoffs and in 85 and I'm watching the game, I'm thinking to myself, you know, I've been here before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Only 22 years have gone by, but I've been here before where these two teams played. Yeah, then and being a former pen pal and getting to meet him face-to-face, one of the terrific moments in my life, I met Wellington Mara uh. at a Hall of Fame function. And, you know, he turned to his caretaker with this big smile on his face, and he says, this is my pen pal from California. Uh. You don't think my chest didn't swell out? <laughs> beautiful. That's so beautiful. You know, that's, that's great. Coach? I want to thank you so much for appearing on the show. I wish you and your family a happy new year. And ladies and gentlemen, guess what? The kickoff season number five, Coach and I will be on the show again. And we'll be talking about, the, the, we'll kick off our fifth season where we'll be discussing 
Uh, the Super Bowl game that wasn't. A mythical matchup between the 1963 Chicago Bears and the 1963 San Diego Chargers. The ultimate defense versus one of the greatest offenses in pro football history. And we're going to discuss what might have been had those two teams competed in a mythical Super Bowl title. So, Coach, I want to bid you and your family a very happy new year and may God bless and keep you always. Right back at you, Matthew. It's always a joy to be on your show. You take care, Coach, okay? You too. Okay, bye-bye.